Have you ever walked into your quilting studio and just thought, oh my goodness, this is a disaster? Or have you kept it pretty tidy, but you just have areas that build up or get out of control? Well, if you have issues with ergonomics, efficiency, and organization, then this shows for you. Today, we'll talk with an expert about creating your perfect quilting space. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories of teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday quilters to share their tips, tricks, adventures, and day-to-day life that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share with you this week's episode. So here we go. Now, I want to welcome everyone to the first episode of 2022. Happy New Year, everyone. And I cannot think of a better topic than organization. It's kind of like a New Year's resolution, except wouldn't it be great if we could just do this all year round? My guest today is Lois Halleck. She is a quilter, a professional engineer, and a professional organizer. It sounds like a perfect combination to me. I met her recently at the Houston Quilt Festival, and you know I love talking about studios. So I was so excited to meet her and find out what she has a passion for and what she offers in her business. She actually had a full room at Quilt Fest and she does private studio consultations. Lois has professionally designed hundreds of quilting studios and has been published in numerous magazines. She has applied her organization and problem solving skills from her engineering career to her passion for quilting, and she helps quilters create a space they love. Lois Halleck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. It's nice to be here. This is such a great topic. You know that I love to talk about studios. I actually have a studio lecture, but you are an absolute expert. When I walked into your room in Houston, I was so impressed with everything you have to offer. And if people actually have good, solid issues in their studio that they need to deal with, I think that you're the right person for them. So let's start right at the beginning. Are you a quilter or is what you do simply a topic that really works in the quilting industry? I'm 100% a quilter. So um, I was an engineer first and an organizer probably is in my DNA because I'm that person that organizes the junk drawer or reorganizes the pantry or the garage. So the organization was um, I was born with, but quilting was like a passionate uh, disease that came on at midlife <laughs> and um, I couldn't turn back. I was like any other Uh, of you. I was buying fabric and, you know, obsessing over what quilts I needed to make. And that was just, you know, something that came on like gangbusters. Yeah, that's so great. Not every quilter has that organizational gene. So it sounds like you have a really good combination there. So when did you start quilting? What's your story about that? Um, I started quilting when my son was born. And um, it was in a time frame in my life when Um, my dad had passed. And so I was trying to deal with the future and the past. And I had quilters in my history. My great aunts and grandmother were quilters. And I saw all these wonderful quilts that were like a memory of them. And it occurred to me that um, what if I passed, what would be the memory of me and uh, this little baby that I had, you know, how would he know me? 
And it started my passion for making quilts that spoke to me and then were made with the love that that would speak to future generations. So it was more about uh, a legacy for my life. So that's how I started. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about the first quilt you ever made. <laughs> yeah. So you know how that is. It's, it's like, you know, you're at a quilt show going, I'd love to make this. I'd love to make that. And you're walking around touching it. Well, I was with a friend who was a sewist and had made many quilts. And she, um, she said, well, you could make that. And I I was like, I've never touched a sewing machine, you know, except I think there was three months in home economics in junior high. (laughs) So she was like, oh, you could do it. You could do it. Well, it's that friend who knows how to sew, who takes a beginning quilting class with you and then sits by your side as you learn to make a sampler quilt. And so I had very uh, little experience in choosing color and pattern and uh, it's, it's to this day, I look at it and go, wow, I'm glad I had help with that because it was, it would have been really washed out and uninteresting if a professional teacher hadn't helped me and my girlfriend hadn't sat by my side. So that was my first quilt, a sampler. Oh, that's so great. So you've definitely come a long way from first quilt to professional organized quilt studio organizer. So there, I, everyone knows that I have the luxury of having a discovery call with you before we do this podcast. So I want you to tell us the story about the quilter in one of your lectures who hired a professional organizer. So that was so funny because um, she was at the Houston International Quilt Show and in my audience and she stood up and she says, you know, I hired a professional organizer uh, because my room was a mess, like a bomb went off and I just didn't know how to, to cope. And this person came into my house and looked around and she's assessing the situation And the first words out of her mouth are, you're going to have to get rid of some of this fabric. You know, (laughs) most of this fabric was her words. She said she fired her on the spot. So So being a quilter and having this organizational career is really an asset because you're not going to tell quilters they want that they have to get rid of their most treasured possessions, which is their fabric. Absolutely, (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, my first goal is to make the fabric you know, visible and usable and tell them to get rid of nothing. I mean, my goal, you know, that's cheating. If an organizer walks into your space and says, I can fix it, you have to get rid of half of this stuff. Uh, You know, that's cheating. You have to fit. That's the job. That's what you're hired for. Absolutely. Okay. So tell us where you live in the world and who do you share your world with? Oh, I live in uh, Snohomish, Washington which is a suburb of Seattle um, near what we have uh, like a wine area, wine tasting area in Woodenville. So we have that. And I share my house um, with my husband, Don, and we met in college. So we've been together more years than I can even think of. (laughs) But (laughs) I have an adult daughter uh, who lives in my house, who's um, trying to get herself launched. And I have an adult son who lives nearby. And then I have my little dog, Kona. And we may hear her today, depending if the, someone knocks on the door. And in my studio right now is Oliver, uh, known as Ollie, who's an orange cat, fuzzy. And uh, his sister, Calypso, who goes by Callie. So we'll see them potentially 
walking around in the room or hear them meowing. <laughs> yeah, so cute. Okay, and f- let's talk a little bit about your quilting. So what type of quilting do you gravitate to most? I, I'm a scrappy quilter. I love scrappy. Um, I love to save the smallest scraps. And I think that's why, you know, you have to be an organizer if you're saving everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, uh, I like historical quilts too, like um, the Dear Janes and, you know, these interesting you know, again, it tells something about the story of the quilter. Yeah. So that's why I'm drawn to those. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quilt that you've ever received or given away or made? Oh, that's a fun one. Cause I, my favorite future quilt is the dear Jane I want to make, but (laughs) I haven't made it yet, but yes, my favorite, it was a sampler that was to the thimbleberries. I think it was a block of the month for a year and it had, you know, a house, a little cottage, a little garden, you know, a sunshine. And so it came out looking like a whole um, sort of story on a, on a bed. And that's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. So I really, I can't wait to get into the topic of creating a perfect quilting space. So let's start by talking about your book. Tell us the name of your book and tell us all about it. Okay. It's called Creating Your Perfect Quilting Space. And I wrote it to be a a full how-to book. So the first half of the book has all the different things you need to know about layout, about lighting, about organizing, how to fold fabric, how to store projects, uh, works in progress. And um, then the, the halfway point, it switches to makeovers. And the makeovers, there's seven different makeovers. And the first one is the least expensive, which is rearrange what you already own. So it's um, not, don't spend any money, just get it right. And then the last makeover is a two-car garage that was converted for a husband and wife quilter as they were retiring and knowing they were going to have lots of time at home to be in the same space, but they absolutely didn't want to share anything. Um, So that's... That's how the book works. And at the back, it has um, where you can find all the products that are seen in each of the makeovers. And um, so if you see something in an after picture and you're like, what is that? Where did they get that? You can go find that information. Oh, that's great. And so tell me about how the book came about. Like, I know that you have a passion for organizing, but did you approach a publisher or did you self-publish or how did that work? Well, that's a, that's a funny story in and of itself, because I think I was, you know, midlife working many years at, at Boeing as an engineer, and I was feeling, you know, uh, like I wasn't finding my path. And I was at a quilt guild meeting one night and stayed late chatting with a girlfriend in the parking lot. She's like, what's going on with you? And I told her about my job and how I'm so, you know, what could I do with life? And she said, um, if you could do anything you wanted what would, what would you do? And I said, I do what that speaker, we just heard a a quilter speaker and at the guild meeting. And I said, I would do what she does. I would travel the world and teach and talk about my passions for quilting. And she uh, so happened to be an editor at um, a publishing house uh, for quilt books, Martingale publishing at the time. And she said, send me a proposal. And I was like, what, what, you know, cause I knew her as a friend, not as this. And she's like, send me a, send me a proposal. 
So I sat down and I wrote a list of five different proposals because I didn't know, you know, what, what would work. And on a whim, I threw in this, you know, do a studio and um, organize quilter studios because of this quilter organizer gene that was in me and um, didn't have any material, just had this thought. And when she called me to say they selected that idea, I was driving my car home from work and I felt like the floor had fallen out from under my (laughs) refalling. It was this exhilarating exciting. Oh my God, how am I going to make this happen story? And uh, yeah, it was like, wow, I guess I got to put my money where my mouth is. You yeah. know. Well, I'm so glad you didn't crash. And so how yeah. did you get into creating the book? Did you dive into research and just sort of really brainstorm to get all your ideas out on paper? Right. So I being a ergonomist at Boeing, being a project manager, I laid out a project plan I um, went for volunteers to do their studios. I put it out to the publishing house and to the guild. And man, did those volunteers <laughs> jump in. And um, I just started where you start at the beginning. I, I went to um, occupational safety and health administration websites about ergonomics in the room um, for sewing, for cutting, for pressing. And, you know, as I mean, I I have a master's degree in engineering. I knew how to do a thesis. And so I was like, I treated it like my thesis. You know, I'm going to go make this happen. And I still remember showing up at the first lady's house to do her makeover. You know, the first day, the first time, you know, I'm fresh out of, you know, let's do this. And she, um, she began telling me her story. And I found very quickly that when we get stuck in our quilt rooms, sometimes there's a larger story going on. And in her larger story, her husband had passed and she had things he had made that were, you know, shelves in the room. And there were, you know, it was like she was stuck on many levels. And um, it just became so obvious to me that the help that I could provide was not only my knowledge, but also my heart and my listening skills and being able to uh, help her move forward in her story, you know? And um, it was just such a touching experience on so many levels. I didn't expect that. I thought it was just physical, you know, about moving things and setting them up correctly and having the right furniture and running a project. And then I found out it was just, it was so much more. Well, I just love it. When quilters have a passion for something, they dive in so deep that they become the expert and then they share it with others. So that sounds like that's what you're doing. I love that mindset of abundance. So great. So do you travel around and talk about your book and do lectures? I do. I um, have the Houston International Quilt uh, Festival every fall and I, I go to the market before festival to make sure I'm touching base with the manufacturers first so that everything new is known to me. And then I um, do lectures for guilds, um, either via Zoom the last two years or also, you know, for many years, been traveling around the country um, and helping either to do just a talk for the guild, teach a class for the guild, 
or also some of the guilds set up for me to do individual makeovers while I'm there. And so people get my consulting time in person in their rooms because I'm already in town for that, that guild event. Oh, that sounds so great. And so can you tell us a story about how, you know, you ended up having your own room and space at Houston? How did that come about? (laughs) Oh, Lord, that was just wonderful, because I showed up uh, for Schoolhouse, which is an event at market where publishing houses set up for authors to speak or new pattern designers to speak about their, um, their new item. And so I, all I had was my book and me. And, um, I had to stay a distance away and ride the shuttle buses after hours to get back to the hotel and um, it's by myself in a strange city. And, you know, it was always exhausting and late in the day. And I got on the shuttle bus and this woman jogged on and sat down next to me. Didn't know her from Adam, but, you know, you're with quilters, so you make conversation. Yeah. And she kind of said, how do you, how, how come you're here? What are you doing? And I told her about my book and what I was about. And um, uh, I didn't know who she was, but she was Judy Murrah, who is head of education for uh, Houston International Quilt Festival. Um, She's since passed, but she was this icon in the industry for many years. And her mind was working and she was ahead of the game. And she was like, oh, you know, she's like, you need to send me you know, proposal to, to teach a class you need. She was like on it and she kind of words out of her mouth were, you can't consult with quilters out of your hotel room, you know? And I, I sort of sat back, like, who's talking about that? You know, I didn't think of that. And she's like, we need to give you a room. And I, I didn't understand what she meant exactly, but I've now done this for gosh, what is it? 12 years. where they give me a room on the education floor and I set up an office space with um, also products and they allow me to schedule one hour consults with people, which is where you saw me, Brandy. Yeah, (laughs) that was so great. And I was able to actually come in and sit in the chair and put my feet on the foot. We're going to talk about those in a minute, Um, but I want to get into your tagline. So what is it? Why is it ergonomic, efficient, and organized? Let's talk about your tagline for a minute. Yeah. So, you know, I've had uh, coaches in my industry coaching me on my business, and they said it's very important to know why you do what you do and what you're about. And that tagline was what we came up with together. And it's in that order in a very uh, specific reasoning. And it's because Um, I think you have to be ergonomic first. You can't be injuring yourself or subtly um, fatiguing yourself or, you know, causing some kind of problem in your studio because the ergonomics are incorrect. So it's the foundation for me is the ergonomics and built upon the ergonomics for me is efficiency, which means can you move around in your space? Do you get from point A to point B? Are the things that you need where you need them? Um, are you using them um, where where they are? Or are they walking off out of the room? You know, so efficiency is important for feeling like you're protective. It's not like a word like a factory word, efficient because we want to pump out quilts. Yeah, it's a word about keeping our creative energy high. Yeah, and then you know, organized to me is sort of the the obvious piece. You know, it's like 
if you're organized, things are in the place where you expect them to be. Yeah. So you have brought three tips to help us with today to get us going. So let's start with ergonomics. And then after the break, we'll have the other two. So go ahead with the ergonomics tip. Yes. So for me, um, ergonomics is number one. And for years, um, what has baffled me is where the sewing machine is relative to your body. So um, when you sit in what's called an ergonomically neutral position, you have your feet flat on the floor and balanced, and you have your legs, your knees bent at 90 degrees, your hips bent at 90 degrees, your shoulders relaxed, and you have your arms in front of you with your palms down as if they were sitting your palms on the bed of the machine, or if you have like a, a bed extender on the bed extender. And your body needs to be relaxed in what's ergonomically neutral while you're sewing. Well, um, it so happens that most sewing cabinets are standardized at a 30 inch, 29 or a 30 inch height, which throughout history has been like office desks were standardized at those heights. And so um, when you start digging deeply into why is that standard in existence, it's because the whole field of ergonomics was based upon a study done in the 1930s with men in the military, and it measured their bodies to find out what the average ergonomic neutral height was for them in the office place, which is about 30 inches for all men. Yeah. All women do not have that same number. So um, it, it was something that offices have learned since. So if you work in a, in a large company in an office, they set the desk to the ergonomic neutral for your body. Yeah. But it's something that the sewing industry just couldn't absorb. And so I go to Houston Quilt Market and I would walk around the manufacturers, uh, you know, their display booths and ask them about their tables and why they standardized on that height and could we get it lower? Yeah. And um, I would get these very strange answers. I mean, it was always 29 or 30, they would say. And then I would say, why do you do that? And they would look at me very puzzled. (laughs) So then I would describe who I was, that I came as an engineer and ergonomist, that I understood what was neutral for most women. And yet also there is no such thing as the average person. So couldn't we make it adjustable and be the right height for all women based upon themselves? And these, these sales guys would just start to shake their heads and go, but we sell an awful lot of them. (laughs) I thought that was a funny answer. No, get it right. You know? And so I don't think the industry has quite caught up with that need. Yeah. And that's so important because not only are you sitting at a table, but you're sitting at a table with a sewing machine on top of it generally, which lifts your arms even more. And some people have the luxury of their sewing machine that can be lowered into the table, but not everyone. So, okay. So that was number one about ergonomics, you know, get your table set up properly, have some good position. So before we get into the break, I want to ask you a couple quick things. And then after the break, we'll do the two more tips. So I want to talk about your heavenly sewing chair and your ergonomic footrest. So tell us all about those. Did you invent them or what, what, you know, what made you come up with those items to sell? 
Well, interestingly enough, the heavenly sewing chair is not my design, but it certainly meets all the design requirements. Um, but I um, met up with a man who was selling chairs at Houston and we began talking about ergonomics together and we hit it off and became friends real early in my um, time frame of teaching there. And he started coaching me on starting my own business and um, being um, basically the person that I am today. And uh, for no for no pay, he just wanted to talk and help me. And he said at some point, you should be selling chairs. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right. There isn't uh, people out there selling a sewing chair that is designed for quilters that, that people could understand why it has all the adjustments it has. So uh, the heavenly sewing chair has the adjustments needed to get your body into an ergonomic neutral position and above and beyond an office chair, the back of the chair comes forward far enough to touch your back. When you touch, you talk to quilters and so we're, they are sitting at the machine with their backs, not touching their chair. And they're doing that because the chair back really physically doesn't go past the 90 degree mark. You need it um, at, you know, 85 or 80 degrees. You need it touching your back while you're engaged with the machine. So this uh, sewing chair became uh, something uh, integral to my business. And how did the footrest come into play? Ah, yeah. So that was years later. I kept uh, doing talks for guilds and teaching and saying, just build your own footrest. Yeah. Because once you get your body neutral to the table that you have, so you have to raise your chair to get your body ergonomically neutral to where the machine bed is. It's very often a problem that the floor is too low. The floor needs to be raised. Yeah. Well, how do you raise the floor with a footrest? Well, all the footrests that are available for office supply are made to move so that you keep your ankles moving. And um, this need for a, a sewist and a quilter is that the footrest be stable and the pedal be sitting on the footrest and things not slide. So it was like, um, finally, after years of telling people, this is how you do it, I thought, you know, I really need to do a pattern, a design, a um, construction. I'm an engineer. I know how to do this. I like fasteners. I like um, designing things. So I went forward and designed the ergonomic footrest. And so now it's part of uh, the products that I offer to people. Well, I love how they work together. And I think it's so smart because when you have that room at Houston, when someone comes in to talk to you, they're sitting on that chair with their feet on the footrest and it's, in, you can tell instantly that, yeah, this works. That's great. Okay. Now we're going to take a short break for a note from our sponsors, and then we'll come right back and talk to Lois about two more hot tips for a great quilting space. So here's a word from Northcott. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Batiks, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. And we're back and I'm, I've been so excited to get into two more tips. So the next tip we're going to talk about is efficiency. So Lois, go ahead. Yeah, so when you're working in your quilt space, you're sitting at your sewing machine there's something called a work triangle. And it's very similar to a triangle that you hear about in kitchen design. When you're designing a kitchen, 
you have the stove, the refrigerator, and the sink. And so when you're working in, in the kitchen, you're walking between those three points of a work triangle. Yeah. Well, when you're in your sewing space, you have a similar work triangle. It's your sewing machine, your cutting table, and your pressing board. Um, so having unobstructed path between the work triangle, having the work triangle be of the right size. If you have a large kitchen, you don't put the work triangle points as far apart as possible. You put them close, but then you have a secondary work triangle in case someone else is working in the same space. So um, there's two work triangles that I look at when I'm designing a quilt studio. Uh, the primary work triangle that we just talked about is sitting at the sewing machine, standing at the cutting board and doing your large cuts like off of the bolt or standing at either your ironing board or your pressing station do pressing large pieces. But if you're seated at your sewing machine, you may also want to consider a secondary work triangle that involves having a small place to cut and a small place to press while you're seated. So if you ideally could set up in a U-shaped workstation, you'd have your machine at the front and maybe you're cutting to your right, if mm -hmm. you're right-handed, yeah. and you're pressing to your left. And that way you can swivel your chair and do small cuts and small presses without jumping up every time you have to do something. Yeah, that sounds so good. Okay, and tip number three was all about organize. Yeah, so the organizing piece that is absolutely um, essential is folding your fabric. And it's getting your fabric where you can see it. And folding it is the foundation for getting it in a way that, sort in a way that you can see it. So um, I use a ruler, which is the eight and a half by 24 inch ruler that comes um, uh, from, I think, Omnigrid. And I roll up the fabric on the ruler as if it's similar to a bolt. So if you imagine how the uh, fabric is folded in half the long way and rolled on the bolt, yeah. it's the same thing as rolling it onto the, um, the ruler. And after you roll it all the way up, you pull it off halfway, fold it in half, and then pull it off the rest of the way. And that way you have a single folded clean front edge for that fabric. Yep. So you can use that ruler to fold all your fabric and stack it on shelves in a way that you can see it. Yeah. Just make sure when you go to pull that piece out that's on the bottom of the stack, instead of just trying to rip it out quickly, you tuck the ruler in above the piece you want, pick up the stack with the ruler and pull out the piece you want and drop the stack back on it. Oh, that's such a great tip. And you've described it perfectly. I can imagine it in my head. Uh, when we were talking about um, this specific topic of organize, you mentioned something about the energy story. What's that all about? Oh, yes. Yeah. So when you walk into a quilt store and you see fabric on the shelf, so you know, sort of dream with me about your favorite quilt store. And it may be a real place or it may be a mythical place in your mind. But when you walk in, your heart starts beating faster and your palms start sweating and you just want to touch all the fabric. You want a piece of all the ones in your favorite line. 
And so you pull it off the shelf and you're making stacks and it's very exciting. And it's, it's like the color and the energy that's coming from that fabric is just feeding your creative side. And so you're just a quiver. It's almost like a drug. You're, you're getting a hit from your favorite drug, which is the fabric. And so you get your fabric cut and it gets folded up and put in a bag and it gets put in the car and it comes home and then it gets tossed in a corner. And it's just like the, the energy has gone away in the transport. But when you have a friend over and you pull the fabric out of the bag, it suddenly jumps out. The energy is still there. And so I think if you aren't storing your fabric in a way that you can see it and have it, you know, hit your eyes with that creative energy, you've lost that power. And so if I, you know, I walk into people's houses to do makeovers and I say, where's your fabric? Cause I want to see you know, how much they have, how are they storing it? And I get walked to different rooms in the house and they have bags and boxes and bins, closets. Someone even walked me to the garage and we looked in the trunk of their car where they were driving around <laughs> with their fabric. I think she had a big shopping trip and she didn't want to admit to her husband. So she was bringing <laughs> it in a little bit at a time. But if you can't see it or find it or show it off to someone else, then it's not really giving you any energy out of it. But the moment you fold it all, which I mind you is a commitment by those of us who have lots of fabric, it could take time, but you fold it all, even just the act of folding it, handling it, you're going to re-fall in love with it. Yeah. And so fold it, put it up on the shelves where you can see it and get that energy and creative um, juices flowing from just the fabric you already own. Yeah, I think quilters all over the world are resonating with this right now because we all have that same feeling when we see the fabric, when we buy the fabric. But then, yeah, where on earth in my studio is that beautiful K-facet fabric? I have no idea, right? I totally get it. So if you're listening right now and you want to see it in the book, How to Fold Fabric, you can buy the book. You can go to Lois's website at www.clearview-designs.com. So if you like those tips, you can sign up for her newsletter as well to get her top 10 tips for organizing your quilting space and access to all the previous newsletters to see everything she talks about. So you went to Houston Market and you presented your book at Schoolhouse when you first published it and you've been going ever since for over a decade. So when someone walks in the room at Houston, what do they get? What do you chat about? Well, I take all their photographs that they have taken of their space, all the dimensions they've measured of their space, and we immediately begin laying out the room on a piece of paper using cardstock pieces. And the idea is to come up with seven different layouts that work with what they have. And then also in the act of solving the problems that they have. So if a, a person has very specifically a large pattern collection, we would make sure the patterns were part of the space. Or if they had um, some people have antiques that they collect that they um, like on display in their studio, and those things give them energy. So I had one lady who had a large button collection, so we just made sure the buttons were stored in a beautiful way so that they were given honor in her space so that she had that energy to enjoy that. Yeah. So we, we do the seven layouts. Um, we come up with um, different options for uh, uh, sewing cabinets for 
a chair, for a footrest, um, for a design wall. Um, and then I, I hate furniture that doesn't give any storage or at least not the appropriate storage. Yeah. And very often I encourage people not to use an ironing board because it takes up floor space without um, something underneath. So we look at buffets for putting big boards on top for pressing. And um, we just want everything about the studio to read what it is they need to do in that space. Yeah, that's so great. And like the last year, the last two years have been kind of strange for everyone with the whole pandemic. So you're not actually able to go into people's houses and help them. So how did your business shift over the pandemic? What do you offer online? Well, I do have a Zoom consulting that I'm doing. And so um, they do a Zoom with me and they're in their sewing room at the time. And I'm able to use cameras to point down at my design board. And um, so we can work together even via Zoom. And, some, and sometimes that's even better because I'm actually in the room with them and they're able to think about what we're doing on the design board for the room while they're physically in the space. Yeah. Did you find that your business grew or got busier because of the pandemic? Cause everyone was stuck at home and suddenly had time to clear clutter. Well, it shifted for sure. And, and I would say I've had recently a pretty large boom in designs needing to be done. I, I also retired from my day job at Boeing as an engineer. So I am focused really only on this business as um, not competing for my time and attention. So things are coming through faster too, because I'm able to get the designs uh, done quickly and then take on more clients. Yeah. Now you can say yes to more, right? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the other parts of your business. We know you do one-on-one consultations, um, but you have classes as well. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I do, I have uh, several classes uh, listed at my website, and I teach also at a, an event here in Seattle called the Sewing and Stitchery Expo, which is held the end of February. Uh, they did go virtual last year, so I set up three sets of cameras at the cutting, pressing, and sewing and taught my classes um, virtually. Um, so I have some organizers that I've written patterns for the fat quarter organizer is a really popular class. And um, so we make uh, something to store your fat quarters in because I've heard I'm a scrappy quilter. So I collect a lot of fat quarters. Yeah. And we have so many scrappy quilters who listen to this podcast. I had an episode on scrappy quilting with the scrap sisters from Manitoba, and it was one of my most highest listened to episodes. So there's lots of scrappy quilters listening. Um, So you have class, so you have classes that talk about organizing that create organizers, um, but you also create patterns as well. So tell us about some of your patterns. Yes, thanks. So um, definitely have uh, multiple patterns. One is the fat quarter organizer. And then in addition, I designed a carrying case, uh, which is a featherweight purse. So for all those featherweight people out there, the box that you carry your featherweight in, when it's empty, it weighs seven pounds. It's made of a hard wood and it has steel um, like shelves in it and drawers. So uh, I designed a soft-sided featherweight purse that carries 
the ruler that you need, the tools that you need in a tool organizer, and also has a soft-sided um, sleeve for your foot paddle. And that featherweight purse has really hit the markets. Um, and apparently no one else has done it. So that was a fun, a fun thing to do. Oh, that's really cool. I have been to so many workshops where someone shows up with this beautiful featherweight and the people just gather around because they want to see it. It's, it's got that perfect straight stitch and everybody loves it, right? Yes. Okay. So I love to, we're about to get into the lightning round, Robin, but before we do that, I always ask the same question to every guest on my show. And that is what brings you the most joy? Well, I have to say fabric brings me a lot of joy, but I wouldn't say the most joy. Um, I think it's helping quilters to release their joy, you know, by um, unsticking them from whatever is blocking them from um, creating in their quilt studio. So I, I'd say my most joy is uh, helping that quilter get her, her studio in shape so that she comes back at her passion in a way that's new and fresh. Oh, I could definitely see that because there one time I did um, a little exercise to clean one of my junk drawers and I emptied the whole thing out and I got rid of things I didn't need. I organized what I wanted. I put stuff in there that I always used right beside my machine. And not only did it bring me joy to have a clean drawer beside my sewing machine, it continues to bring me joy every time I can find my seam ripper or my little purple thing or all the things that I use the most beside my machine. I'm not losing them anymore. So I definitely can see how that feeling of bringing a quilter joy could bring you joy as well. Um, okay, so we're going to get into the lightning round, Robin, right now. It's a rapid fire series of a few questions. Um, I love to do this with all my guests. So are you ready? Sure, let's do it. Okay, what is your favorite notion? Had the rotary cutter. Okay. And has there been a person who has really made a difference for you in your quilting world? Uh, Darlene Gurton, the featherweight doctor. Oh. She helped me get into zooming. And okay. Teaching. And what is your messy zone in your quilting studio? Oh, shoot. I thought you were going to just say maybe messy overall. Oh, I was thinking <laughs> about my, my clothing closet. It's pretty messy. That's okay. It doesn't have to be your studio. Yeah, no, I would say um, I have storage for um, like these little cubbies that go into the eaves of my, my room and those are messy. Yeah. And that brings us to the sort of notion that clearing clutter and cleaning your studio is not just a one-time thing, right? It's just an everyday thing. You got to keep forgiving yourself and just keep doing it, right? Okay. Do you have any quilty collections of any kind? I like. Uh, toy sewing machines. Oh, that's cool. And what color do you choose most often when quilting? Blue. Blue. Okay. And we already know you have some furry friends at home. So what are their names again? A dog and two cats, right? Yes. Kona is the dog and Ollie and Callie are the cats. Oh, Ollie. My dog was Oliver and I miss him terribly, but um, we called him Ollie as well. And actually, everybody thought he was a girl all the time because we kept calling him Ollie. We're like, Ollie. And they, they thought he was a girl, which is kind of funny. Um, is there anything that quilters might not know about you? Uh, let's see that I take clean clothes out of the laundry basket to wear. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not everything has to be perfect and folded. You can grab it fresh, no. right? 
Okay, that was so fun. So thank you so much for enduring the lightning round, Robin. Um, So let's just review your website. So if people are listening, and they want to know where to go, they can go to clearview-designs.com, where they connect with you on your website, they can see your blog, um, they can email you, they can sign up for those 10 tips by signing up for your email list, and see everything you have to offer. Um, But where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media? Um, so I do have a Facebook presence, Clearview Designs. Clearview Designs on Facebook. Okay. Now, of course, I have to mention the weekly podcast giveaway. So Lois is giving away a free PDF pattern and you actually get to go in and choose from all like over 20 patterns that she has available on her website. So it's your choice. And then I'll add in a few fat quarters from Northcott, who is a sponsor of today's show. Now, as we wrap up this episode, Lois, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? Um, to tap into that joy that they had when they first started quilting by actually taking on a small spot in their room every day and uh, just heading towards a space that gives them that, that feeling of creativity. That is such great advice because you do not have to do it all at once, right? You can just tackle one small thing each day. And you'll get joy from that spot and then you can do it again. And so this was the perfect topic to bring in the new year. And it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Brandy. It was a lot of fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So that was my interview with Lois Halleck. I just love how she has intertwined her engineering skills with her love of quilting to build the business that has helped hundreds of quilters get organized. And I want to end this podcast with a few nice quotes for the new year. The first one is, organizing is a practice, not a project by Megan Francis. Another great quote I love is, getting organized is a form of self-respect by Gabrielle Bernstein. And the last one I'll leave you with today is for every minute you spend organizing an hour is earned by Benjamin Franklin. So I love those quotes. And I think it's so important to just forgive yourself for the mess that you make, which you can do over and over again, every day, every time you play and get organized one little bit at a time. Those are the tidbits that I got from Lois. And I really hope that you go and check out her website. Are you loving this podcast? I would be so thrilled if you would write a review on your podcast app and share this podcast. The kindest thing you can do for me is to introduce me to your friends. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.